But uh, today we're going to talk about miracles, and we're going to spend the next six weeks looking at some different miracles and different events in Jesus' life. But these miracles, I believe, will help give us a better understanding of what God is like, what Jesus is like, and how great His love is for us. And so as we think about miracles today, as we stop here in this place and we think about this idea of miracles, I, I think the, quish, uh, excuse me, the question quickly becomes, you know, Paul, uh, let's just begin here with you. Paul, do you believe in miracles? I mean, do you believe in the reality that miracles still happen today? And I will tell you that without a doubt, I believe yes. Without a doubt, I believe that God still works miracles today. Now, the skeptic in you, maybe that leads you to kind of a follow-up question, another question that you might want to ask, and that's, Paul, well, if God still works miracles today, why is it that He always doesn't do them? I mean, why is it that at times it's almost like He's sitting on His hands or something? Well, I wish I had a clear answer for you on that. I wish I had an even confident answer, but I guess I do have a confident answer, and that is that I don't know. I mean, I have no problem standing up here in front of you and telling you that I, I don't know why God chooses to heal one person and not heal another, or why God chooses to spare a life and another one is taken. I don't understand it, and I don't understand it at all. But here's what I hope we can accomplish together over the course of the next month or so. And my prayer is that as we look at these various accounts, that they will not only give us an understanding... But here's what I want to happen. I want God to get into your life and get into your heart and to enlarge your faith. To give you the faith to believe that the impossible is possible. And my, so my prayer is that God would give you the faith to believe that He is a God who is still capable of doing the otherwise impossible in your life. And so today, uh, we're going to look to the book of Mark. And if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them right now and turn to the book of Mark. Uh, go to the second book in the New Testament and turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. The book of Mark is named for its author, a guy by the name of John Mark, and you can read about him in the book of Acts. Tradition suggests that Mark learned everything that he recorded here on these pages from the preaching and teaching of Peter. And so he followed Peter everywhere. I guess you could call him a stalker if you wanted to. But he followed Peter all around. He listened to every message that he gave, and he recorded all of these details as Peter was speaking, as the Holy Spirit was speaking through Peter. The Holy Spirit, the same Spirit, was guiding Mark as he recorded these words uh, for us. And so let's take a look at one particular miracle that Jesus performed as recorded here in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And that's where I'll begin. It says, that day... When evening came, he, and this is Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, there's a body of water here that's being described, and it's known as the Sea of Galilee, all right? And, and it's, a, it's a, a body of water that's often referred to in the New Testament. The Sea of Galilee, just for a little bit of geographical background, is 680 feet below uh, sea level, and it's surrounded by mountains on most sides. Now, because of the terrain and because of the weather patterns in this part of the world, this place, the Sea of Galilee, was known for being absolutely breathtaking one moment, you know, this gorgeous place, and then wham, in the next moment, a great storm would blow in, apparently out of nowhere. Now, the funny thing is that life's kind of like that too sometimes, isn't it? I mean, everything can just kind of be smooth sailing. You know, life's going well, your relationship, you know, with your spouse is great, the kids are doing good. I mean, job couldn't be better. You're getting more money than you ever hoped you would. 
And then all of a sudden, wham, one day everything changes. It changes with a phone call. And you pick up the phone and, and you learn some news that's pretty disturbing. Or the mailman comes and, and you open the letter to find out uh, that something's taking place around you that you didn't realize. Or your boss calls a meeting that wasn't on the schedule. I mean, life does that sometimes. And it can be like that. It can be unpredictable. And the Sea of Galilee was kind of like that. Verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And so we've got this great storm that has come out of nowhere, like storms often did in this particular part of the world, and now they've got a problem. Now, how many of you are afraid of thunderstorms. Is anybody willing to admit that with me today? All right, we've got a few people around the room that are afraid of thunderstorms. Well, as a child, I was deathly afraid of thunderstorms. I mean, they, they drove me crazy. And we used to live in this house out in the country, and we had a second floor and upstairs, and there was only one bedroom upstairs. And guess who got to sleep upstairs all by himself? I did. My sister slept downstairs. I slept upstairs all by myself. And so I can remember as a fifth grader sleeping upstairs all by myself, and I had like this built-in storm radar. All right, so I could be sleeping at night, and I could hear the slightest rumble of thunder, I mean, miles and miles away, and if I heard it, man, I was out of the bed in no time, I'd grab my Pac-Man sleeping bag, I would like hop down these 15 stairs that led to the, to the first floor, and in no time, in, in 1.9 seconds flat, I'd have that sleeping bag laid out outside of my parents' bedroom door, and, and I'd call it a night. It was somehow safer just being there right by my parents, you know, because storms scared me to death. Well, you know what storms are like in the Midwest. I mean, we can get some nasty thunderstorms that can come out of nowhere. Well, I like to think that I've overcome my fear of storms today, but I think I've sort of developed a, a different kind of uh, coping mechanism. Sometimes it's just to snuggle up next to my wife maybe a little bit more. I don't have the Pac-Man sleeping bag uh, any longer, but my coping mechanism today is to always know what's going on. And so if we're home in the evening and there's severe weather in the area, I've got the TV on, I'm flashing back and forth between the different radars and listening to the newscasters, I get the flashlights out, I'll walk out on the porch and watch the clouds, you know, like I'm somehow now this meteorologist and I can tell how clouds are coming together and, and what to expect and what can happen. I drive my wife crazy. You know, she's like, turn the TV off, we know there's a storm coming, what more do we need to know? But it's like, well, something could change, you know, I mean, they could go to a warning or something like that. That's how I cope, all right? That's how I deal with storms. Now, storms on land are one thing, but being caught in a storm, in a boat, in the middle of the night is a different thing. And these disciples were scared to death. And remember, most of them were fishermen, you know, and they made their living fishing on the Sea of Galilee. I'm sure this wasn't the first thunderstorm, you know, that came upon them while out on the Sea of Galilee, but this storm was different. I mean, this was a big storm, and they were afraid of losing their life. Now, don't lose sight of who's in the boat with them. All right, Jesus was in the boat. Same boat, same storm, same circumstances. I mean, I think there's a lesson here for all of us that's worth noting, and it's this. Being a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't exempt you from going through the storms. Please don't miss that. I mean, especially if you're kind of new to the faith and, and new to this whole Jesus thing. 
that being a follower of Jesus, being a part of this church does not exempt you from having to go through storms in your life. I mean, and some of you are like, you know what, you can say that again. I mean, that could not be any more true. In fact, even since I became more involved in this church or started really taking my faith seriously, my life's been out of absolute control. And it's possible that that's been the case. You know, Jesus said, you know, you are going to face storms. And just because you're a follower doesn't mean that you're going to miss out on them. So what kind of storms are you going through right now? You know, what storms have you faced or or what are they like for you right now? Maybe it has to do with your job. You know, and you've got this job and you can't stand it. I mean, the people that you work with drive you insane. And, And the job hasn't worked out like you had hoped. And you're like, I, I mean, I hate my job. You know, I would do anything else but this. And while you're saying that, the person next to you is like, hey, at least you have a job right now because I don't have one and I can't find one. I mean, there are some of you that are in that situation right now. Or maybe for you, your storm is a financial storm. And for some homes, you're doing everything that you can to just stay afloat financially. And with the economy the way it is and your house won't sell and, and the job loss and the failing transmission, I mean, you're just scraping by. You don't know how you're getting there, but you're doing it, but that's your storm. Or maybe it's a health-related storm, you know, and you made the mistake of just going in for an annual checkup, and everything was going great until you went to the doctor, you know, and so they've done these tests, and you're awaiting the word now, and I mean, it's hard to believe that it could be cancer, and it's out of your hands, but you know something's going wrong. We've got marriages that are going through storms right now. I mean, I know that we have a number that are, are in some stormy waters right now. And some of you are barely hanging on, and and others aren't sure they're going to make it. Maybe that's your storm. Or maybe it's family stuff, and you and your spouse, you've been trying to get pregnant for a couple of years now, and it's just one negative test after another, and that's your storm. Or maybe you've got kids, but but they're on this rebellious streak in their life right now, and, and you don't know what happened. You know, you thought you did everything that you could to raise them right, but they're out of control. Or maybe it has to do with parents, and you've got aging parents, and, and with their health declining, you, you've got to help them make some tough decisions. What's the storm for you? Which one are you facing? Here's my prayer. I am praying that God will increase your faith. I am praying that God, who is fully aware of all of the details in your life, will increase your faith. I am praying that He will do something significant in you that reminds you that He is greater and above everything else in your life. And so I want to take a look at just a few things in a short amount of time here, just a few things that we see right here in Mark chapter 4 that kind of give us some ideas of of what we can expect in storms and what we can expect in our own storms. And my prayer is that these might be able to encourage us. I think the first thing that we see here in this particular storm, that's just a reminder to us that you are in the storm right now by God's appointment. You are in your particular storm by God's appointment. And the Bible tells us that God knew you before you were born, that He ordained every single day of your life. And He knew before anyone else what was going to happen to you in this season. I mean, nothing surprises Him. Look again, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, that day when evening came, He said to His disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now, who was it that was speaking to the disciples? Jesus. Jesus was the one speaking. It's Jesus who said, let's get into the boat and go over to the other side of the lake. Now, you think Jesus would have done well to check the weather on the 8s or the weather channel or something, okay? But he didn't. 
Jesus said, let's go across the lake. It was his idea. And being the son of God or God in the flesh, he knew that there was a storm coming. He knew that this was going to be a wild night out on the Sea of Galilee. And so the disciples were in this storm. They were in this particular situation, in this moment, and they could not have been any closer to the center of God's will. This was the storm that God had ordained for them. They were following Jesus' lead. Now, you might be in a storm right now, and you might be thinking to yourself, I wish I wasn't here, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you'd be crazy to not think like that. But God knew you were going to face this storm. He knew every detail. Now, you might say, well, where did the storm come from, or why is He allowing me to go through this storm? Well, let me just give you a few possibilities real quick. First, I think there are a number of storms that come into our life as a result of our bad decisions. I mean, maybe you made a poor decision or a series of bad decisions in your life. It was your rebellious streak or all of a sudden now you're dealing with the consequences of those decisions. I mean, can we agree that sometimes our choices lead to storms and big ones? There's another thing, you know, sometimes our storms, you know, might be just us experiencing a storm from Satan. You know, he is directly involved. And I I don't think he's in every storm. I mean, I think he'll manipulate us in certain storms at times, but but maybe your particular storm is from Satan. I mean, Satan is just as real as Jesus. And we've talked about that over the last few weeks. He's the evil one, the dark one, the prince of darkness. And his mission, as the Bible tells us, is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so maybe you are under his attack right now in your life. Or maybe you're experiencing storms simply because you live in a broken world. If you remember from last week, we were in Revelation 21, and and God said that there is a day that is coming when there will be no more pain, no more tears, and no more suffering, that God is going to make all things new, that He's going to restore all things. But until then, until that day, we live in a broken world, a world marred by sin. And what did Jesus say? He said, hey, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, because even though storms will come and even though we'll all face them, he said, take heart, because I have overcome the world. So how would you describe your storm right now? I mean, what has caused your storm? Now, I realize it's not as easy as that. You know, that you could just somehow say, oh, yeah, it's B. Yep, B, that's what it is. It's always B. You know, I mean, they tell you that as you go in to take the ACT. Just, if you don't know, just mark B. You know, I mean, you could just say, well, it's B. Okay, I realize it's not quite that simple, but no matter what your storm is like, I want you to remember this, God knew you were going to go through it, and I know that that might not make it easier for you. It may even raise more questions, and there is no doubt that you might be in a situation right now that you don't want to be in, but God may be taking you down a path that you need to be on, just as He was doing with the disciples. I mean, he had a plan for them, and he's got a plan for you too. But God took them down this path, and Jesus said, let's go to the other side, knowing full well that they would encounter this storm. And so maybe for you, the next time you come face-to-face with a storm in your life, whether it starts with a phone call or a meeting or whatever, you receive the news that all of a sudden changes everything. Remember, when that happens, remember that you were in the storm only by God's appointment. He knew it was coming. And I believe that God is good enough and He's great enough to make sure that good can come out of it.
And so as we think about these next couple of things, remember first of all, though, that you are in God's storm or in this storm by God's appointment. The second thing is that you are in the storm by His presence or with His presence. And don't forget this, that we are in this storm with His presence. Look at verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke and said to Him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So Jesus is in the boat, He's in the stern, and for some reason we need to know that He's sleeping on a cushion. All right, maybe it's just because Mark wants to make it absolutely known that He's sleeping like a baby. And so Jesus is asleep in this boat. He's not waking up, even though I kind of wonder and think if maybe there was one eye open just a little bit, just for the comic relief effect of watching everything that was happening. Because the disciples were going crazy, but Jesus wasn't. Jesus wasn't going crazy. Nothing was out of control in His mind. I mean, think about that for a second. Do you realize that God has never called an emergency meeting? That, you know, it isn't like everything just breaks loose and God calls the Trinity back from vacation, you know? I mean, come in, guys. We've got to sit down. We didn't see this one coming, and we're not leaving this office until we figure this out, you know? I mean, God never panics. He never panics. Nothing has ever gotten out of hand. And even in the middle of this storm, Jesus was sitting right there, and it was Jesus, the Son of God, and He was with them in this storm. I remember hearing a story one time of how the Indians used to train their young boys uh, to become great warriors, to become brave warriors. And, and when a boy was young, like 10 years, of his, 10 years of age, his father would take him out of the camp and take him out into the wilderness, so the mountains or the plains or something, and he would leave them there, leave him there until morning. And, and so this little boy was like 10 years of age. And he's left there out in the middle of nowhere by himself until the morning. I mean, can you imagine? I, I, would, I wouldn't make it, you know, Pac-Man sleeping bag or not. There's no way I'd get through something like that. But this father would leave his son for a set amount of time to brave the animals, to brave the, the elements, the dark, and, and all of his own fears. But here's what the boy didn't realize, that the father was never really that far away. In fact, the father never left. He was always in sight, looking out for his son. The boy didn't realize it, but his dad was there the entire time just to look out for his son. You know, you might forget, but be reminded that God is always with you. He never leaves you. And even in this storm of your life right now, the Son of God through the power of the Holy Spirit is with you, and you can be encouraged. Psalm chapter 23, verse 4, David said when he was going through a difficult time in his life, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I, I love those words right there in the middle of those verses. Never will I leave you, God says. Never will I forsake you. Yes, you are in the storm, but I am always with you. Can you say with confidence in your own life right now, no matter what you might be facing, that God is your helper? 
you know, that, that He is there for you, that He is never far, that He is always, you know, within reach, and that He will never forsake you. One more thing here in this particular story, and I, it's true here and it's true for us, <clears throat> and that is that you are in the storm for His purpose, that you are in the storm for God's purpose, and and, and I know that that's a tough sell, <clears throat> you know, because you might say, well, what possibly can come from this situation that I'm going through right now? But I believe that God is going to do something in your life that He can't accomplish any other way. Look at it from the disciples' perspective. They were facing one of their greatest fears, and it's our fear too, and most of our fears, it's the fear of death. And so they're out in this water, they're, they're afraid of death, you know, teacher, do you care if we drowned? Yeah, we, we don't want to die, and so what happened next? Well, in a few minutes, in a few moments, they're going to get to see the great power of God. And all throughout these next few years of following Jesus, they're going to see God working, and they're going to learn more about His character. And eventually, they're going to watch Jesus die. And that's going to be forever pressed upon their minds and pressed upon their hearts, and it's going to scare them. And then they're going to witness this resurrection and, and see Jesus come back. And, and so they went through it all. They went through every storm. And it was in each storm that God was doing more and more in them. It was all building on one another and God was shaping them. And He was strengthening them. And He was preparing them. And so these guys who shivered in the boat one night, many of them died as martyrs. They died willingly as martyrs for Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ. And they lived courageously even though they knew they might get their heads cut off. And some of them did. And so God freed them from the thing that had the greatest grip on them. And that was the fear of death. You know, how? Well, God was doing a more than a miracle in them when He calmed the storm. You know, He was doing more than changing the weather. God was making them greater. But maybe some of you can relate to the disciples right here in Mark chapter 4. You know, their, their cries of, you know, Jesus, do you care if, if we drown? Because you're like, I'm in trouble right now, and it doesn't appear that God's listening or even paying attention. And that might be your prayer right now. Or maybe some of you come from, a, come from the standpoint of, hey, I've been praying more than I have ever prayed before, but nothing seems to be happening. And you can't help but ask, okay, God, how hard is it? I mean, I've seen you do all these awesome things in other people's lives, and, and I've read what you've done in the Bible, and I've just got this one little thing. I mean, how hard is it for you to answer my prayer request? How many more days or how many more months or how many years do I have to pray about this? And, and I know you've done these greater things, but how about helping me out with just a few of my details here? Or if that one's too big, I'll give you another one. It's not quite as large. How about helping me out here? Are you there? You know, is it true that you are able? I mean, do you really love me? Are you for real? I mean, why do I got to go through this storm? Fifteen twenty-seven, the year fifteen twenty-seven was one of the most difficult in Martin Luther's life. If you don't know who Martin Luther is, you've probably heard his name before and maybe read about him in school. But on April twenty-second, uh, a dizzy spell forced Martin Luther to stop preaching in the middle of one of his sermons for ten years. Ten years of his life, ever since publishing his ninety-five theses 
that hung on the door of that church, all against the abuse of indulgences, Luther had been beaten up over and over again by political and theological storms, and and at times his very own life was in danger. But it all seemed to die down, but now once again in 1527, 10 years later, it's picking up again. He almost died, he writes, on July 6th, but with the doctor's help, he gradually regained all of his strength. But the depression in his life and the illnesses overcame him again in the fall and the winter of that same year. He once wrote, I spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain and I still tremble. Completely abandoned by Christ, I labored under the vacillations and storms of desperation and blasphemy against God. But through the prayers of my friends, God began to have mercy on me and pulled my soul from the inferno below. Well, around that same time, in that same year, 1527, when he's already sick, the great plague broke out in Europe and and arrived in in Wittenberg at this time. And Luther's house was transformed into a hospital where he watched neighbors and some of his closest friends die. It was during that time that his son became deathly deathly ill, but eventually survived. And storm after storm and pain after pain, one of the greatest, if not the greatest reformer ever in the Christian church outside of Jesus, all for God's work, was once again walking through a very turbulent storm. And as he reflected on this storm and as he reflected on all of the storms that he faced, he wrote, the only comfort against raging Satan is that we have God's word and God's truth and God's hope to save the souls of believers. Because with Luther, God took him through these storms to make him strong. And he can look back now and he can know that that God desperately needed an authentic man, a man of great conviction to the core, so that when people looked into his eyes and heard his words, they believed that this man who was standing up for what he thought was right was willing to die for what he thought was right. And so sometime that same year, that same year of 1527, even in the storms, Martin Luther was inspired and he was inspired to write this great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You know, the words say, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Now, I looked that word up, (laughs) and it means something very strong and something very big, and and that God is this great fortress, that He is a bulwark never failing, never willing to give up, that He is our helper, the song says, even amid the flood. You know, God had proved His strength. God was proving His faithfulness. God was working in Martin Luther's life to prove his power, that he was available and present to Martin Luther. And the word for us is that he is available and present to you and me. I mean, we want God to remove the storms, and there's nothing wrong with praying this. And maybe God wants to do something in your life right now that he can't accomplish in any other way. Look back to two more verses in Mark chapter 4. Verses 39 and 40, it says, He got up, Jesus did, He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And He said to His disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now here's what I think. I think that there are those here today, and I can say this with absolute faith, that God is going to heal you. Do you know, do you believe that? I believe that there are some of you here today that God is going to heal you. I believe that He's going to take care of that bill. I believe that He's got a job plan for you. 
I believe that He is going to heal your marriage, that God's going to put marriages back together in this community right here in this church, that your son's going to come walking back in the door, and you might be in a storm right now, and God is getting ready to say to that storm, be still. You have no power over me. Be still. Are you ready for that moment? Because the, this, this, this thought or this, you know, unbelief in us that we are somehow control of our lives, you know, will come over us and we'll begin to point to various circumstances that led to the deliverance or to the change of things. That will be the temptation. But it will be a miracle. And will you be ready to give God the credit? Now, others of you, your storm will continue to rage on, and it's possible that it may even get worse, and there could be another storm right behind it. But here's what I think God may want to do in your life, and here's my message for you. The message is this. Just be still. And no matter how worked up you might be or how anxious you might be right now or how frightened or afraid, could you take these words right here in Mark chapter 4, 39, when Jesus said, be still, and could you hear them in your own heart, in your own life this morning? And the crazy thing is, you will, and they'll change you, and it will be a miracle, and maybe the most impressive miracle that God wants to do in your life right now with all hell breaking loose around you is that God wants to give you peace. A peace that is controversial and a peace that doesn't make sense. And your spouse might think you're crazy and your family might think you're crazy and your friends might think you're crazy, but God will give you this peace and He'll give you the ability to remain calm. And even through the danger and the threaten, uh, threatening elements of this storm, you know, your eyes won't be focused on the storm, but your eyes instead will be focused on Jesus. They'll be focused on the one who is capable of delivering you through the storm or taking you through the storm to get to the other side because he's the one who made the storm. He's the one that's asked you to get into the boat and is taking you to the other side. It's not about us. It's all about God.